Romans 11, verse 11. Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is, is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, and as much as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and have and, and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? But if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off and, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. Severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you are cut off or cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? We come to a passage that is dealing specifically with the nation of Israel and applied to the Gentiles as well, the church. In Romans eleven eleven, it says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Meaning Israel. The response is given is certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Is a stumbling of Israel resulting in a permanent fall? Is it final? Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And the answer that is given by the Apostle Paul is certainly not. There has always been a remnant and there will continue to be a remnant And as we shall see, the Lord will work in the hearts of Israel again to bring them to salvation. There's a plan. We read through a passage like this and we see, you can't help but just read through this and see there is a plan. That God's not looking saying, I have no idea what's going to happen next, but you know, I'm eager to see. You see God saying, this is what's going to happen. And what will follow that will be this. And as a result, you're going to have this that comes to pass. And we see that Part of the plan is to provoke Israel to jealousy by bringing salvation to the Gentiles. Through the unbelief and stumbling of the nation of Israel, we see the Lord bringing salvation to a people who were not his people. He takes Gentiles from all over the world, and the Holy Spirit draws them to salvation through the preaching of the gospel, through global missions. In your bulletin, you should have a map that looks something like this. And I just pulled this off the internet, but 
It's amazing when you look at, you think of 2,000 years ago, it was Christ, and he's here, and he has his 12 disciples. He's born in a, a stable and laid there in a manger. It's rejected by men. All of the prophecies that were given pointing up to Christ to come. All of it that should have made it so that anybody would have looked upon and said, clearly he's the Messiah. And yet we see rejection after rejection after rejection. Even him being taken to the cross. And yet we look and we see that it is all of God's plan. And the prophecies that were given, the details that were given all throughout Scripture pointing to the shedding of blood for the remission of sins, to even the way in which he'd be crucified, given hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever even invented, the details of of what it would be like for him on the cross, how he would die, how he would rise again, where he would be buried, all of the details that were given with such perfection, prophecies that were given, all of the Old Testament pointing to Christ who was to come. And, and yet you look and you just see rejection, rejection. And here God says that Israel, those that stumbled, he says, is their fall going to be permanent? The response that's given is absolutely not, certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, Salvations come to the Gentiles. And you look and you think of God's people Israel, the law given to them, the way in which God worked specifically to bless Israel, them, God pointing to the Messiah who was to come, the rejection, and then you see God's people, the disciples going, going out to to places like Samaria and you see Philip there where he ministers to the Ethiopian eunuch and that Ethiopian takes the gospel and takes it down to Ethiopia. You see what takes place as, as, as Paul is on his road to Damascus there into Syria and what God does in his heart. The missionary journeys that Paul takes going all the way over those areas of, of, of Europe watching and seeing the disciples go to India or to, to parts towards, towards Russia or, or into Africa, going in all different directions. As the persecution just continued and continued and continued, you see that the gospel just went forward in all directions. And you look at this map, and, and I, I recognize that, that this is referring to anybody who would claim to be a Christian. But it's radical when you look at this and you see... You see the blue. <laughs> you see Israel that's, that's right there, this, this, this tiny little sliver. It, it's, it's, it's almost impossible for you to see it there on this particular map. But there it is. There's, there's, there's Israel. If you know your geography, you can see that the tiny little dot that's there. And then you look and you see the spread of the gospel all over the globe. I mean, it's just radical to look at where God says... Through their fall, Israel, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And then you just look at the spread of it. 
all over the world. All over the world. Here we are in Mission Viejo, about 7,700 miles away from Jerusalem. Sitting here, 7,700 miles away from Jerusalem, and we love Christ. We love the gospel. We search the scriptures. We see that, that Christ was Messiah who was to come, and everything was pointing ahead towards him. And the gospel has come to us to where we have been regenerated and changed and made totally new and grafted into the tree, grafted into God's people. We who were not his people have been made his people. And we look at this and we just see the hand of God where God says, salvation's come to the Gentiles. Last year, we were in, in Moscow and meeting Christians that were there in Moscow and then having them say, you got to meet the Christians that are in Siberia. Christians in Siberia, there's a church that is there. you got to meet the Christians in Siberia. Or going someplace like, like Vietnam and, and, and being there and, and being amongst God's people there and just seeing within them just this incredible love for Christ and the gospel. Me, they're working with pastors that are there, and they're saying, like, when we get home, we're, we're probably going to be arrested. And then to find out within the week they were arrested. Watching the process of, of God's providence, where you look in, in, that, in that trip, I had called them on their cell phone. Um, and, and so when they got arrested, they took their cell phones and looked and saw an American number there. And we're like, why is it that there's an American that called you? And the, the pastors were later released and they said that, that they were released because those, those, the, the police were nervous that they were going to get in trouble and it would cause bad light on Vietnam if they arrested these people because they were having contact with Americans. And somehow or another, me being there worked out well for their release. You look at that and you see God's hand on it all the way through going down to parts of Africa where you know, see huge numbers of believers there. The, the, people who, who sometimes have very little to no clothing at all and grew up in the bush of Africa and you see them there under a tree worshiping Christ with the entirety of their being. Going down to South America where you look and, and you know, it wasn't until... Nearly 1500, that 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? And, and going into these regions and the gospel going with it to where the gospel spread. You look at this map and it's just all over the world. If, if you take how many people would claim to be Christians, you would have about 2.2 billion people a third of the world all over. And then you look at the areas that are closest to Israel, and those are the areas in which there's the fewest number of Christians. And you watch this, and, 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 and God is just saying, hey, there's a plan. Israel has rejected me. At least a good portion of Israel had rejected him. But it's to provoke them to jealousy that salvation has come to the Gentiles. You see, in the, in the early church where Peter comes and he, 
He says, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And it's interesting because you look at, at, at Peter just saying, as many as God will call, those who are afar off, they're going to come to salvation. And then he goes and he testifies and he says, be, be saved from this perverse generation there in Acts 2. And it talks about the early church. These Christians who are there, who hear the gospel, believe. And it says, those who, who gladly received his word, those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. The numbers are just incredible. When you think of, of what is taking place as the Holy Spirit is working, the gospel goes forward and there's those that hear and they gladly receive the word and they're baptized and there's 3,000 of them. And you just watch what takes place in the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They just study. They get together at church like we're doing this morning, and they get together and they, and they study. They get together and they look at the doctrine. They get together and they search through Scripture. They get together and they just read through it, and the excitement that comes when they look and they say, this is where it says it was going to happen, and this is where it happened. And just being able to look at it and be able to see as the Holy Spirit is working in their hearts and gifting certain individuals as teachers to teach them. And they're there, and, and there's just, they're gladly receiving the word. They're breaking bread together. They're praying together. It tells us fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. They had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. A church in which there was just incredible need. And you watch them where they get together and they just look and they look and they see who has need. And they just say, okay, well, I'll sell this stuff. I can help you. I can minister to you. I'll sell this thing that I have. This will help your family. And you watch and it's just, we're told that there's all of these Christians and they're just there to bless each other. They continued daily in one accord in the temple, the breaking of bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Daily. Every day, there's more and more people coming to salvation. And you look at it, and there's just this church, and they are a light to the world. They're different than everybody else. The way that they love each other, the way that they care for each other, the way that they provide for each other, the way that they worship, the way that they pray, the way that they have just simplicity of heart, and they're together in one accord. A like-mindedness that's there. And I look at that, and I say, God, help us to be like that. Help us not to look and say, well, that was the early church. But to look and there's a, a genuine love for one another. 
I was talking with a family from our church that was needing some help financially and, and they on, on something and, and, and they had just met another family and the other family was just like, we'll, we'll pay for that. And just watching the, 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 the process, the thinking of we'll care for you in this way. We'll help you in this way. There ought to be a love for one another here within our fellowship that those that would look upon us would say they are in one accord. There's such simplicity of heart. They care for one another. They love one another. They're known by their love for one another. There is a difference. There's a difference. And so we see that taking place within the church. And the gospel just continues to spread. People with passion for missions that just look and say, to the uttermost parts of the world I'll go. Yeah, just look at that. I think of the way in which they traveled. I do everything I can to get the aisle seat. And especially if I could get bulkhead, the exit row, or something like that to stretch out my long legs, I do that. <laughs> I was going to, to Vietnam the first time on an airline, and I was so excited to get the, the exit row. And I, <laughs> I fell asleep. And had my legs all stretched out and was comfortable. I fell asleep and I woke up and there was like four people laying right in front of my feet. I'm like, how does this happen? Where's the flight attendant? No one cared. They just. But you think of the way in which we travel and here these, there's no airlines, there's no fast boats. They just get on their feet and. I'm, I'm walking to India. Disciples. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk to Russia. I'm going to walk to Rome. I'm going to take a boat to this place, and then I'll just walk the rest of the way preaching the gospel. I'll go down to Africa. And you watch the disciples, and they just spread all over the place, the early church, sending people out all over the place to where you look and you see, you see Christians today all over the world as the gospel joyfully went out. God was accomplishing it. In verse 12, it says, Now if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? God used the fall of Israel as a means to bring incredible riches to the world through the spread of the gospel. And if God used Israel's hardness of heart and and failure to to be riches for the Gentiles as the gospel goes forward to the uttermost parts of the world, how much more will the riches of the gospel and the spread of God's glory come in their fullness when the Lord causes incredible revival and conversion in Israel? When that day comes where God radically changes the hearts of those that are in Israel and draws them unto salvation, and the question is, is, how much more in their fullness you go to Israel and, and, and you will find 
uh, as, as I found a, a hardness towards the gospel, a hardness towards Christianity. The idea of, of thinking of the fullness, the idea of thinking of, of Israel as a nation here in the gospel, an incredible revival taking place there, is something that logistically it seems incomprehensible if you've spent any time in that country. And yet, it's not too hard for God. He can just radically change hearts, and then not only will he do an incredible work in Israel, but the way in which God's glory is spread as a result of what he accomplishes there, what Paul just says is, is how much more? How much more riches will there be in that? In verse 13, it says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. This section of Scripture challenges us as a church, as Christians, we, to ask ourselves if we're living in such a way to provoke others to jealousy, specifically the Jews. The passage says, I speak to you Gentiles. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. But what would magnify my ministry, what would be so much greater is if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Provoke them to jealousy. I wonder if the church today at large would provoke anybody to jealousy. Here, Paul's heart is, I just, I want to provoke them to jealousy. I want them to see what we have and have them long for that. We have been blessed in the most incredible ways as God's people. Here, we who were not his people have been made his people. You look at your life and you think of the direction that you were going prior to salvation and and just running in a direction that was opposite of God. Hardness of heart, doing whatever was right in your own eyes, and then God saved you, changed you. Holy Spirit indwelt you, made you a new creation in Christ. Your faith was fully and completely in him. Your eyes were opened to where you were able to see that there was none in all the earth that you desired besides him. You took a heart of stone and he made it into a heart of flesh and he radically transformed you and he made it so that you who were going in a direction of spending eternity under the wrath of God, eternity in hell, he has exchanged it by making you his sons and his daughters and you get to spend eternity in heaven as the bride of Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and intimate fellowship with him with no more sin and no more pain or any such things. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Everything is radically different. And then you look at, 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 at the way, I'll just take myself, the way my own heart is sometimes. And you look and you think, God's done everything to me. And there's times in which the way that I think is indistinguishable from the world. God's radically changed me. And yet, that within my heart that is so prone to still wander or to love the things of this world. 
He just wants to provoke them to jealousy. And so we look at that as a church and we say, would we provoke anybody to jealousy? And I pray that we would. I pray that, that our joy in Christ would be so radically different than those that are in the world that they would look upon us and say, there is something just radically different about you. That our peace that passes understanding, the peace that would be there in the midst of incredible trials to where someone else would look and say, I don't know how you got through that. That They would look and say, there is something different in you. You don't talk like the world. You don't act like the world. You don't act like me. You are so different than me. Our eager expectation of eternity in heaven. Our eager expectation of eternity in heaven. A peace that is there where we see someone ushered into heaven and you watch the way that the person is and it just an incredible peace. The way that we minister to one another, the, the blessing of, of being there when, when Earl Milligan passed away and watching young people from our church, older people from our church, there, and he's there, and he's laying there, and he's struggling for every breath, and there's those that are there just washing his feet and, 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 and rubbing oil on them and just comforting him. Others that are just singing praise songs and, or, or, or reading scripture. A whole group of people just singing songs and having a doctor come in and look at this and watch this room filled with people from our church of all different ages and having his response be, when I pass away, I want it to look just like this. Being different than the world. Our satisfaction and our contentment in our Messiah our love for one another, our love within our marriages, within our families. Are we shining brightly as lights to the world so that as they see us, they see Christ in us? They see that we're not in love with the stuff of the world, with just things, but we're in love with Christ. Joy that is there that the world does not know. And you watch that and you see it. You see it. You see it at times in your own life. You see it in other people's lives as well. But I pray that, that we would find ourselves to be so in, in love with Christ and have such a biblical view of life and eternity and why we are here and, and, and that it would just change us to where people who would see us would look and say, they're not like us. There's a difference. The way they love each other, the way they think, the smiles on their faces, there is just a difference. I coach high school soccer and, and there's times with some of the other coaches who are believers, we're there and we just look and say, I wonder if we could tell who the Christians are who are here. And I'll tell you, we nail it almost on a regular basis. You can look and be like, I know that the kid has to be a Christian. I was blessed in, in um, I saw a, a friend of mine from high school at, at um, Claim Jumper, 
this young lady, and, and I hadn't seen her for probably 15 to 20 years since high school at, at that particular time. And she was going to Pastor Don's old, old church, and, and, uh, and she, was, she was with a number of people from his church who were there, and, and I saw all the other people that I knew. So I went up, and I'm like, oh, hi, so good to see you. I'm saying hi to everybody, and I look, and I'm like, Cindy, I know you, I know you. And I, it was one of those things where I'm like, you're like one of the least likely people I would expect to see with this whole group of people. And to, to, to listen to her, and she said, oh. she goes, I got saved, this is how God saved me. And she goes, and I looked back in high school and just thought, like, who were Christians in high school? Like, there had to be people who were Christians in high school. And she's like, I just sat there just thinking, like, who could have been a Christian in high school? And she said, you're the only person that came to my mind. You had to be a Christian. And then me being there and talking with all these people, she's like, I knew it. I knew it. And it wasn't anything good in me. Trust me. There's nothing good in me. But it was Christ in me. A difference that is there. A difference how we are in the workplace the way that we work harder or with integrity, the way that we stop and care for somebody who is in need, the way that we stop and listen to somebody, the way that we reach out to the neighbor or the joy on our face when we're in the grocery store or whatever it is, there is a difference in us. And here, Paul's just saying, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, verse 28, if you would. You see here a picture of this with Israel and what was taking place. Matthew 21, verse 28. In this passage begins by saying, but what do you think? A man had two sons. He came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said to him, I will not. But afterward, he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I'll go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? So they say to him, the first and Jesus answered, or Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. So there's two sons. One says, I'll go. Doesn't go. The other one says, I won't go. And later relents and goes. And Jesus is giving this, this picture of, there's those that would say, I'll do it, I know, I'll do it, but they don't go. His response is, you are the religious people, but the harlots, the tax collectors, they're the ones that are coming in. They originally said, I want nothing to do with it, and yet they're the ones that are being saved. And he continues, here's another parable that helps us even more. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it dug a wine press in it and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went 
into a far country. And now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the, to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took the servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise to them. And then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, they'll respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him, cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? And they said to Jesus, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on the stone will be broken, and on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. Here Jesus is talking specifically about what we're looking at here in Romans chapter 11. There's those that there as, as the vine dressers and God sends people to them. They beat them. Torture them. He sends his own son, this picture of Christ who is to come and they kill him. And Jesus says, what would they do? What would the vine dressers, what, what would the owner do? And get rid of those guys. Get others to come in. And Jesus says, didn't you read? Have you not read? Didn't you read about the chief cornerstone, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? It tells you that this is going to happen. The stone would be rejected, but it would become the chief cornerstone. And the Pharisees and Sadducees are, are, are listening to this saying, these chief priests and Pharisees are saying, I think he's talking about us. I think that he's saying that we're the ones that are doing this. Let's kill him. But we can't. We're too afraid right now. I mean, he literally just lays it out and says, this is what they did. And the response isn't, oh, that is us, isn't it? It's just, let's kill him. James Montgomery Boyce on this says, Jesus then made clear that in this parable, God is the father, he himself is the son, and his hearers are the tenant farmers. He quoted Psalm 1822, which says, the stone the builders reject has become the capstone or the chief cornerstone, concluding, therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. This was... An unequivocal statement that the kingdom of God would be taken from the Jewish people and given to the Gentiles, which, of course, is exactly what Paul teaches has happened. So we see this. Back in Romans 11 and verse 15, it says, For if they are being cast away is, reconciling of, is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? 
If Israel's rejection of the gospel and being cast away means reconciliation for the world, their acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ will mean life from the dead. Reiterating it again, the majesty of what will take place. In verse 16 it says, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. To be holy is, is to be set apart. And so if the first fruit, the tithe offering to God, was set apart and holy, if those who took their tithe offering, the first fruit of what they had, the first fruit of what God had blessed them with, and they give it unto the Lord, and God says, if that is holy, then the whole lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If the root that is there is holy, and it's coming up, and that is what is making this this plant, then, then all of the branches are holy as well. If the root is holy, if Abraham and the patriarchs are holy and set apart, so are the branches. In verse 17, it says, If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. Here he is saying, some of these branches were broken off. There were those that were the unbelieving Israelites, where you have this picture of the branches being broken off, and, and you, Gentiles who are here, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in. We were brought in to God's people, brought in to God's family. The map that is here, Christians from all over the world, brought in. If you were brought in, You were grafted in among them, and you became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the whole olive tree. Don't boast. I mean, so much of this section is don't boast. Put it into perspective that you were grafted in. There's nothing for us to boast about. For us to look at Israel and be in a place of, well, we can boast, we believe the gospel saying, don't boast. If you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. We were the ones that were grafted in, the Gentiles. It's all of grace, and therefore there could be no boasting. You'll say then, verse 19, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. The branches were broken off that you and I, as Gentiles, might be grafted in. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. But you, Christian, stand by faith. Therefore, don't be haughty. I mean, Paul's bringing us to a place of, it's all of grace. Just get it. Watch how God goes to Siberia or to Vietnam or to China or to Chile or to Mexico or to Mission Viejo, 7,700 miles away. And he has grafted you in. He has grafted you into the olive tree. So don't boast. Don't be proud. Don't be haughty. Realize that it is that tree, the roots that support you. You were grafted in. It was all by God's grace. It is all the result of faith. 
Don't be haughty, but fear. Have a clear understanding of this is what God has done, and we need to have a proper response to it. But fear, and he goes on to say, for if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Now, I don't think this, actually, I'm I'm certain that this is not talking about losing your salvation. This whole section in Romans is about our security in Christ. The whole section is pointing us to, it is by faith, it's not by works. There's no one that can snatch you out of his hand. The whole point of this whole section is to show us that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But when you look at at this map, you'll see areas like Turkey that was once a place that the gospel flourished in. Areas like Rome. Areas like this whole section of northern Africa in which the gospel there is now between 0 and 10% to be gracious. And you look at it and you look at America Look at the church across America. And here, the church, you see just radical change as the church has become more and more like the world to where we're indistinguishable from the world. His point is, don't think I've been grafted in, therefore I'm okay. But understand that if God didn't spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either to where you look in just incredible compromise, the selling of indulgences that took place in Rome. You see here in America where this, this wandering from Scripture as our authority. I'll tell you, like, you, you look at the early church here in America, and it is radically different than what you see here. You see some of the Puritans who started some of these denominations, whether it be within the Presbyterian church or the Methodist church. And you'll look and you'll see that, that the direction that the church has gone, I mean, it would be absolutely appalling to any of those founding members of those churches, those leaders, Institutions that were built up like Princeton or any of those Ivy League schools that were built up for the purpose of preparing pastors to go out and to minister the gospel. And you look now today in some of those same universities and it it, it is just completely in an antagonistic position against the church. And Reverence Bible Church as well. May we fear, recognizing our salvation comes by faith alone. Our authority is in Scripture alone. We cannot be like the world. We cannot dive into the stuff like the world. We can't say, I'm a Christian because my parents are Christians, or I'm a Christian because I go to church, or I do these things, and have it be where we look and say, hey, we're okay no matter what because of all these things. God's just saying, like, no, you need to fear because if he cut off the natural branches, he may not spare you either. The entire nations that have gone so far from where they were founded. You think of, I think I read it's less than 2% of most of Europe that even goes to church. That's radical when you think of England, Scotland, Switzerland, Germany, Holland. I mean, these areas in which all the Puritans came out of. We're part of the most incredible works that were written, were written in some of those countries. Church was so solid there, so strong there. And now you look and it's, it's primarily atheist countries. Verse 22, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell. 
severity, but towards you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. Meaning Israel. He's able to graft them in again. And if you are cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own tree? This gives me just incredible confidence in the gospel. The power of God to change people because he says that he can. If he can graft us in, how much more can he graft them in? And my encouragement to us as a church is let's proclaim the gospel. Let's have boldness. Amongst the Jews, boldness. Even when you see hardness of heart, reading a passage like this saying God can change them. May our lives be such that we make them jealous for what we see because we know the Messiah. We believe in the Messiah. We see it all through scripture and to point them to it and be radically different than the world because the Holy Spirit has changed us. You look at this and I pray that it would just give us incredible confidence and boldness in proclaiming the good news. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. Cause us to just be different, to think differently. Cause us to be in a place where there is not pride, but fear that looks at it and says, Lord, we need to be right in your will and depending upon you and having faith in you and having no confidence in the flesh and, and not saying our our. Our father is Abraham, or, or we were brought up in the church, but knowing that God could take stones and make children for himself. May we be in, in such a place that we just cling to you and depend upon you and hope in the gospel and are right by your side throughout the entirety of our lives that we might shine brightly in this nation and even to the uttermost parts of this world. We love your word and the confidence that it brings us to see a God who is in control, who accomplishes his purpose. And we praise you for the Jews who are here that have been grafted in again. And we thank you so much for us who are Gentiles, who have been grafted in, us who are not natural, who would be the least expected. And you have, by your grace, grafted us in and made for yourself a people from every tribe and from every tongue and from every nation that we might proclaim your praises for all eternity, Lord. You have done this and we praise you for it. Thank you for the spread of the gospel and your Holy Spirit who changes lives. May we respond now properly in praise. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.